This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Some of the discussions featured on this show are technical, while others are higher level. On the first of this month, Roman Mandelale and the EtherCamp team kicked off the first decentralized Ethereum-based hackathon. It was a tremendous opportunity to see the developer community showcase the ideas that were simmering away behind the scenes. There were a ton of solid entries and hundreds of people active in the EtherCamp Slack. All told, the event was a roaring success and showed that the grassroots development community is vibrant and active. As a spectator, it felt like we'd watched the first cricket test match of a long summer. The next two episodes consist of a series of interviews with some of the people involved. Today, Christian Reitweisner, judge and Solidity language designer, discusses the language itself. Peter Kolokovic explains his proof of individuality entry, Ethereal. And Sebastian Bergel introduces us to D-Lab Book. Excuse all that mispronunciation. This is some pretty hurried editing, but class A content from the absolute frontier. Hello, Christian. Hey, Arthur. Could you please introduce yourself to uh, to the audience? Okay, um, my name is Christian Reitwiesner. I I have uh, I have an academic uh, academic background. I did my PhD in computational complexity, and I heard about the Ethereum project in uh, summer two thousand fourteen, and joined shortly later, and. My my main assignment, my main thing I did there was to create the Solidity language and the compiler. Well, I mean that's a uh, that's a mouthful in and of itself. What's computational complexity? I mean, as a, as a field of study, that's that sounds really interesting. Uh, it's a bit it's a bit abstract. <laughs> so um, you probably heard about. So or, I mean, the more yeah, it might be that you heard about. Uh, Things like P and NP, these are complexity classes, and P is uh, the the class of computational problems which can be solved in polynomial time, which means those are the 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 problems which are kind of tractable, which are doable, and NP is uh, a class that is built upon P. And it contains things like the traveling salesman problem or the satisfiability problem. And those are problems, so I, I won't define it formally here, but uh, those are problems which are probably not easy to solve. But once you have a solution, it is easy to check that it is, is a correct solution. And computation complexity is uh, the study of such classes and especially uh, the way they relate to each other. So uh, whether you can always translate one uh, a problem from one class into a problem in another class and so on. So, uh, and, and t- tell me if I've got this, uh, this right here. So the goal of, uh, so the goal of under- coming to an understanding of NP class problems is to find a way to turn them into just regular P problems. Am, am I on the right track there? Uh, 
So the, the thing is that uh, every uh, every uh, problem in P is also in NP, but it is not yet known whether so it is not yet known whether the classes are actually different. It is widely believed that they are fundamentally different, but we have no mathematical proof for that. So this is really sounds like frontier kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. It's it's interesting because this is this because it's so hard to you know as as you've just found it's hard to kind of explain these things. There's this uh, there's this gap in people's understanding where it just it's a black box, you know. I mean, and that's that's the case with virtually all mathematics. Um, mm. And uh, and so it's really interesting to have someone who's um, I mean, computational complexity. That's a buzz phrase that's been kicking around for for quite a few years. But it's it's fantastic to <laughs> to actually meet someone who who might yeah. know understand this arcane uh, this arcane knowledge. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. So you created the Solidity language. What does it take to to create a computer language? Um, I mean, so there's always the language and the compiler, and those are, uh, I mean, not all languages have a compiler. Some are also some are only interpreted, so they are compiled on the go or uh, executed on the go. And one of the things is just designing the language, uh, thinking about how it should look like, what features, it, what features it should have. And the other thing is then writing the actual compiler. I mean, for designing the language, it's... I mean, it's not, not, not every language... No language is designed on its own. You always look at other languages, how they do it, what features they have, what you could take from other languages. And so languages are always influenced by each other and actually when you look at, at some programming language on wikipedia then you always have a list of influenced by other languages and there are i don't know at least five other languages so um the the challenge for solidity uh was that it's kind of a new execution environment so that's something that has, has not existed before uh because you have this kind of singleton computer which runs only one program in a deterministic manner on a very special architecture where, where you actually have uh, operations that, are, that, that cost money. For, for all other languages I know, uh, you have, I mean, programs should be efficient, but if they are not, then it just takes longer, which is also something that costs money sometimes. But for Solidity or for the Ethereum virtual machine, you can actually say this will cost exactly this amount of gas, which is uh, uh, that many dollars or whatever. That's a kind of challenge here to, to create a language which looks or is a high-level language in one sense, but on the other uh, side uh, also uh, makes use of features uh, such that it is as cheap as possible to, to use it. So there are two two problems here. You've got the uh, the creation of a good um, computer language, uh, a, a good uh, a good written programming language, and then you have the creation of a compiler. So, is the efficiency side of this is this this is a uh, an interaction between the compiler and the uh, and the programming language itself? Is that is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So. And the compiler takes that higher level programming language and turns it into something that 
this uh, this distributed architecture can execute. Right. So one thing that also influenced most of the design design decisions uh, was the the memory architecture of the Ethereum virtual machine. So you have this. Uh, you have the storage area, which is persistent across calls and is is really owned by a contract. So a single an address or a contract has a storage area and only that contract can access the storage area. And then there is a memory, which is a, a cheaper uh, memory area, which is erased after each call. And this is also something which is very specific to the Ethereum virtual machine. And it's also, again, something which, uh, so memory has very different costs from storage. So um, all these things influence the, the design a lot. And then this whole, uh, so that, that contracts are objects on the blockchain which are isolated from each other. That's also something which is uh, very unique to the Ethereum virtual machine. I mean, in, in object-oriented languages, you have these, objects which are created from classes and they are kind of isolated but then in they don't have this persistency that you have on the blockchain and so you can yeah you can you can move around objects uh, in object oriented uh, languages and but you can't really move around uh, contracts they have a fixed address and and that's it and they have their storage and you cannot access that from outside but i mean in in the end you you just you just develop it gradually. You, you add features, you think about stuff. And uh, I mean, that's a, that's a general uh, thing to, to do with large problems. You uh, think about how you can chop it into smaller problems and then solve each of these problems uh, after each other. A programming language is something that your average person has absolutely no conception of. And certainly the creation of one is, uh, is <laughs> you know, it, it boggles the mind. I mean, when you when you do programming in C plus plus, and then then I mean, you run the compiler. It actually it, it almost always works. It creates a program and does exactly uh, what it should do. But sometimes at, at some point you discover compiler bugs, and then I mean, when I discovered my my first compiler bug, uh, I was oh my god, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> that can't be true. But I mean, of course, the Solidity compiler has bugs, but as any compiler has bugs. But the thing is, you won't encounter these bugs normally because most of the people don't go into these extreme edge cases. Most of the bugs in Solidity are discovered for quite new features, but it is really stable, I would say. We have... Um, let, me, let me just get the number... Yeah, we have 735 uh, tests currently, um, which is, I think, by far above anything in the Ethereum uh, ecosystem. Uh, so, and I mean, whenever I, I add a new feature, I always add tests for that, of course. I mean, that's what you do uh, in, in, <laughs> in software engineering. And... Um, yeah, we have a quite low inflow of bugs, so I think you can be pretty sure that that uh, the Solidity compiler does what you what you wanted to do, unless you use some really obscure stuff. 
so when you were watching the Ethercamp hackathon and and did did you uh did you see various um elements of that architecture being uh being used that were specifically interesting one thing that really amazed me was that uh i think it was even during the hackathon i finished a new feature where you uh could attach functions from a library to an existing type and People saw that I finished that feature during the hackathon and uh, they asked the organizers, please update the compiler so that we can use it. And uh, yeah, the compiler was updated and they, they actually used that feature that was finished three, three, uh, three days ago. <laughs> that was really cool. Now, there's a shortage of Solidity de- uh, developers, obviously. Um, is that, uh, do, do you have an idea of how many people there are out there who can, uh, who can use this language effectively? Uh, not really, no. I mean, there are quite a lot project, a lot of projects which are not really open about what they do. Or, I mean, I don't have, really have an idea <laughs> who uses it. I mean, so well, there are quite a lot of people in the chat asking questions, but I think once you're at a certain level, uh, you don't ask too many questions anymore. So <laughs> these people are not that visible. Are there, what are the specific challenges that someone learning to use Solidity might face? Um, so due to this problem with uh, the, the difference of the memory areas, the difference of storage and memory, it does not really feel like other programming languages, so especially concerning uh, copy semantics of objects. And so there, I mean, from the outside, it looks like JavaScript, but it's actually quite different from it. So you, you really have to learn a new language, I would say. But I mean, the, the entry level is easy. So the, at the entry level, it, it, yeah, it still looks like JavaScript. <laughs> but when you take on more features, then uh, you have to look at the documentation. But I hope, I mean, uh, just I think last week, we released this new documentation website, and I hope that is uh, yeah, a good resource for everyone. Uh, what was that? Uh, what was the URL for that website? Uh, it's solidity.readthedocs.org. To people who are setting out and uh, and attempting to learn Solidity at a at a deeper level, because it does look very simple on the surface, and looking at the Ethereum wallet uh, that Alex Van der Sand has put together, it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of easy enough. It's kind of fun. He'd had a really great. Um, great uh, blog post in the Ethereum blog um, that explained how to make your own currency and stuff. And that was fun for everyone to play with. Um, but for people wanting, wishing to do deeper and more advanced uh, or wishing to build deeper or more advanced uh, tools and, uh, and structures, could, do you have any advice for them? I mean, people probably already know that, but what, I, so, um, what is really great, I don't want to... to uh, how do you say? Um, to, I don't want to praise uh, myself here, <laughs> but um, Solidity Browser uh, IDE, I really like it because you can on the, on the left side, you can write your code and you immediately see whether you did an error or not. And when it compiles, you click a button and you can just run a call a function. You can just test it. So you have these really short turnaround times, which is great for learning, I guess. So yeah, I mean, if you want to learn Solidity, look at the uh, documentation site. And there are a lot of examples. Just uh, 
copy them into this uh, online uh, compiler and try them out, modify them, add some, some features on your own, and I think that will get you quite far already. Uh, where can people find you online, Christian? We have this Solidity channel in Gitter, which is at uh, gitter.im slash ethereum slash Solidity. So, Peter, could you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, to introduce myself, I'm, uh, I'm front-end developer and designer. And uh, I've, I've been contacted by uh, Nick uh, for the, this hack uh, on uh, EtherCamp. Yeah, and, uh, and then kind of, yeah, he, he had an idea about uh, proof of individuality. And that was like how, how this started, you know, we started to discuss about... Um, about possibilities and for this, it's really kind of fundamental technology for uh, for like the centralized definition of uh, identity. Yeah. And um, how did you find participating in the hackathon? Uh, I've been following a Ethereum conference in London, and I find this a really amazing idea, and it's really needed, badly needed technology. And uh, and I just felt I have to be I have to be part of it, you know. I have I have to see how can I contribute. And uh, then I was following like uh, this um, talks on forums and yeah, and then I found out about this hackathon and uh, and that's how I got involved. Yeah. And so, what was your? Could you explain um, Etherreal? What the idea behind it is and how you went about implementing it? Uh, Etherreal is uh, is. Um, kind of uh, application decentralized application which is uh, uh, solving the the problem with individuality because like many many applications depend on on uh, on the uniqueness of the user and uh, his individuality and um, it could be like uh, it could be applied on so many like different uh, aspects like for voting any voting system kind of there's been talks about basic income uh, uh, applications so we have we have to have like some kind of um, proof of uh, individuality and avoid like some kind of friends of friends like faking a system having double uh, identities so like if it's something like crucial to prove that you are kind of an individual that's what we are trying to solve it's randomness of uh, verification by users uh, two users have to have to meet uh, physically, so they have to go. Uh, one one person is traveling to visit uh, um, another person, and, and then he has to prove that he lives there, like he has uh, bills and stuff. So then uh, then they sign the key uh, keys, and there is another person, like third person, which is like random person as well, which is uh, checking that these two persons are really met physically. So he's uh, monitoring their communication. So the kind of it's three times signed. Isn't that a kind of isn't that a slightly difficult thing to engineer a um, three people, three random people to uh, to meet one another like that? Uh, well, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, for for instance, like you know, um, it's like. Uh, do the random uh, pick of the. You, for instance, you volunteer to to travel to verify someone, and then also someone uh, kind of requests verification, and he said, "Like I will host verification." So, 
so then we have like then we have these kind of users who volunteer to to travel to verify or to uh, to hold okay. and then we randomly like pick one of them and we match them and also also randomly like uh, that's kind of everyone will get notification would you like to be kind of uh, watchman for this uh, verification and it's like practically like chat they they agree upon the time and place when it's kind of most suitable and then uh, and then watchman is like you know participating to, to that everything kind of goes well so we kind of we've been thinking about how to avoid uh, bots maybe to kind of pollute the system you know and that's that's why we kind of need like three three people three real people you know random so like if you uh, during the year maybe like you will get like five times some kind of uh, request for verification and then then it will always be like system will be always true and up to date so what about people who don't have an address that can be verified in a database so people who say live in a van or a hotel um, or you know, or are often are always on the road and don't have a permanent address like a rental. Uh, maybe they have a PO box. Um, yeah, what what about people like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, but that is really really kind of big exception, really big exception. But anyway, like there has there has to be like somehow like uh, yeah, you have yeah, you're you're saying like you're always on the road, like you're like nomad, and. Uh, the, yeah, I mean that that can happen, but uh, in kind of in ninety nine point nine percent, like you have like your ho- home and something to verify. That. Practically, we need like to verify that you're a real person, and 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 yeah. Then we are getting to the challenge if you have like double kind of addresses, if you kind of uh, using different names and kind of say I'm I don't have home, you know, I'm traveling. Well, I mean, my, my concern really is that say I'm a bad actor. All right, and um, and because I'm familiar with this situation because I travel all the time, I don't have an address that can be verified for like mailing or something. So I need to game those systems just to use the postal service in the states. So you know, I know that I can have something sent to the address of the post office, and that will verify, and ultimately it'll go to the post office, and I'll be able to get it from there, even though that's not my actual address. But um, but because I have that on my bank statement, for example, it looks to the world that this is my real address. And maybe I should be cutting that out because it may not be legal. But it's the only way for me to actually interface with, um, with the world and, uh, you know, where I live right now. Because people want proof of address. And, and the only way I can do it is to give them a fake address. Um, or, you know, an address that's not my, my, residen- my residential address. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm... I'm I'm already gaming the system, and I wonder if the uh, edge, you know, system tricks like this can be used to um, to kind of game uh, game Ethereal. It is you know, I'm just I'm just seeing what's uh, you know what kind of edge cases there are. Yeah, it's it's a good point. You know, it's it's uh, percentages like you know so minor, you know, but we have to consider it. Yeah, because uh, because for instance, like. Uh, it's the most important thing that someone first of all see that you're a real person and physically meet with you, you know. And then, uh, then probably if if that is uh, kind of you, you would have some uh, the, the other person is there, and uh, obligation of that person is to to kind of to see that you're a real person and kind of if you don't have like home, you know, a permanent home or something, he has to like investigate somehow, like you know, before he gives trust, you know, to to uh, kind of give his key, you know, to verify your identity. 
he would have to be sure, you know. Otherwise, he's compromising as well his identity. He is getting minus points. We made that as well with some kind of points. You have to prove up to 100 points that you're a kind of real person. So other person has to really like, if he's going to use his key and, and also the other pers- pers- third person who is watching also has to be sure, you know. So they can consult each other, like make a chat, you know, how can we prove your identity? So for sure you have like, I don't know, you can prove to the other visitor, you know, this uh, witness. You can prove yeah. like somehow, like, I don't know, you, will, you have to figure it out. But you have to convince other person to sign for you. Uh, imagine, like, we, we see the biggest threat is, like, to have, like, bots, you know, like, comp- compromising the system, you know. So, for instance, you can do that physically, but kind of, yeah, you can try to violate the system, you know. But uh, kind of, that's really hard, you know. I mean, percentage, could, you know, percentage of people kind of who, are, who don't have permanent home or cannot prove any, anyhow, it's really small, but we have to consider it. But we have the, we are considering the much bigger threat that we have like uh, bots, you know, some server, server farms figuring out how to violate our system. So that's why we have to like have this random real people meeting and signing. And they don't know, maybe it will be like only one witness, you know, verifying them. Maybe it will be like several witnesses like on top. So it's pretty easy. Like you just monitor their conversation. They can consult you like, you know, but that, that's, that's the big threat. And that's what we are trying to um, prevent. It seems like this would be a very useful uh, way to contribute to a, say, a, a, another identity platform or a, or a reputation system. This could be used to augment that. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, we, we actually the future future of this we would pro- provide some API, you know, for different like voting systems like this universal basic income. In this case, like if you have like friend of a friend, you know, system of verification, you know, if it's not this randomness. Then, you know, you can say, like, you're two persons and then you can get, like, double kind of uh, income or something like that. So that's what, that's what we want to avoid. And even it's better if you travel somewhere far, you know, different continent, different country. And then kind of you're jumping in some, some new totally network and some new triangular, triangular <laughs> uh, verification, you know. So if any kind of violation happens, you know, it will be, like, really easily detected, you know. And we'll be comp- compromised really quickly. Quickly, because we have three, who are three parties who are signing. You know, yeah. I see that makes that makes sense. I think this is a really uh, a really core uh, core model that you've you've discovered here or that you've built here. I th- I'm, I'm really. Do you have how far did you get during the hackathon, and do you have any plans to um, to further develop uh, Ethereal? Yeah, we we got like really like thumbs up from from many people uh, on the, on the idea. I think probably Nick would explain better. Like you know, he was uh, he's uh, he was kind of his mastermind of, of the idea, and I I contributed a bit with uh, with some uh, ideas about uh, user experience and um, but uh, we are we are expecting like some Solidity developers to join us, and uh, and there has been people who are recognizing potential, you know, who wants to kind of de- uh, de- deliver some applications for voting. You know, everyone knows that kind of this is pretty fundamental thing to prove uh, individuality of the parties participating in process so yeah we i i now i wa- i welcome you know any kind of uh, interested uh, developers to kind of to join the the to join the, um, the this uh, project we we plan actually we have an interface now like and you can see like 
kind of basically basically how it would work you know it would be mobile app yeah and we, we need backend yeah and 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 i welcome now like who wants to join the uh the mobile app i uh, i had a play with with what you guys had put together and it's fantastic it's really good i mean it's it's really convincing i think um with a good api i think this could be something that you know formed the backbone backbone of identity verification in ethereum i mean there's no reason why it, you know why it shouldn't it's it's really uh it seems like a really powerful idea now well, i think i think it's amazing peter <laughs> uh, thanks Thanks. Uh, I'm very excited about about this, and it was really, really fantastic. This uh, opportunity on uh, Hackathon uh, Ethercamp to to meet uh, these uh, fantastic, uh, brilliant people and and to exchange these ideas. It was awesome, mate. Eh? Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. I think, uh, yeah, I think we are building the future. You know, definitely, <laughs> and it has to be decentralized. Otherwise, it's really, uh, it's really dark. Yeah. <laughs> It's really privileged. It's really privileged, like you know, uh, to take part in you know in this. It's it's unbelievable, like potential, you know, and 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 for instance, like you know, we have to solve so many things. Our technology cannot support kind of today's needs, you know, like to you know for the for democracy, you know, to distribution of information. So really, we badly need this uh, this technology, and and as th- that's why I see like so big enthusiasm about, um, among the developers and uh, philosophers and, <laughs> and journalists about this. And also, also like also, it has to <laughs> this this thing can solve. You know, how can we finance the the journalism? How can be like uh, how can journalists journalists be independent, and how they can be financed for their work? So that is that is uh, why I see like this Ethereum is a really beautiful thing uh, to kind of to to think about and and yeah we have to we have to pay pay the content which journalists are producing and and they have to be independent you know and they have to be free to think and write whatever they want. Fantastic. Could you um where can people? What's your contact details and where can people uh, track you down, Peter? I would I would rather like yeah I would rather point on Ethereum you know and there I I can be contacted if you if people would write on uh, Ethereal at ether dot yeah if people would uh, email us on that we will get message. So Sebastian, uh, distributed lab book. Uh, would you like to give us a rundown of uh, of how the service uh, works and uh, and what it's uh, what the job to be done uh, is that it addresses? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm um, I'm a researcher at uh, ETH Zurich, and uh, working in a lab, we have lab books that people document their work or actually should document their work in. And the idea is that you should, for people who later have some some. Yeah, some questions or some are questioning your work uh, that you have a way to get back and prove what you actually did. And uh, since this is typically done in a handwritten manner, it's quite messy and nobody actually likes it. So the idea was for this Ethereum hackathon to take this whole thing, put all the data that you would normally handwrite into a lab notebook, publish it in IPFS, and then take this IPFS hash and, uh, yeah, plug it into some smart contract, which would be a notary service and a timestamping. So you can basically prove at any later point 
that what you claim you did was actually done A by you and at the time that you said it was done. So you guys actually write this stuff down with with a pen. Yeah, exactly. So, or I should rather say we're supposed to do that, but um, yeah, it's always kind of messy and it's uh, yeah something that nobody really likes. So we're actually required to do that. That's the that's the current status. That's really unfortunate. I mean, uh, my handwriting has gradually decayed to the point of illegibility. I imagine that's probably similar with most people. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You're you're not you're not the only one there. So um, yeah, and I mean at the same time, uh, when there's for example, um, yeah, if somebody accuses you of plagiarism, so or comes to you and says, hey, all your data is is fabricated, then I mean, what do you do? You got to defend yourself somehow. So um, you have to dig into your big box of lab books and get to the place where you actually did run the experiment and hope that he even wrote a date onto the page and um, yeah and try to reconstruct what was actually going on so therefore yeah i think that's something where we can very easily provide a technical solution to an actual problem and a much more convincing one as well because it would be very simple to simply fabricate the uh fabricate the lab book wouldn't it yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I mean, this uh, this is actually a pretty big issue because it's not it's not just uh, for plagiarism. It's also that um, there used to be this uh, this which changed two years ago. Only the um, way how patents were filed in the US is the uh, first to file. So you actually uh, file a patent um, based on uh, yeah whoever invented this first. So this is kind of an this is kind of an issue. So. Yeah, you have to prove somehow that you were actually the first guy who came up with your awesome idea. And so you do this by uh, storing your lab notes using IPFS and hosting them yourself and timestamping the entry on the Ethereum blockchain. Exactly. And so it's one is that you timestamp this, this hash or actually this IPFS address. But secondly, you can also, um, and that's what we had a quick demo for, uh, you also have a name registry service. So you can actually say, um, this data was actually recorded by Sebastian. As you can see, here's this, uh, you know, this uh, name registry service. So you can actually be sure that this was me. And it seems like, I mean, you know, we've been talking for four minutes and 30 seconds now, and that is pretty much the outline of something that I think we can probably expect to see as a standard uh, operating tool everywhere at some stage in the not too distant future, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I mean, it's uh, still. I mean, the, the question is how elegantly we can we can package it into something that people can actually use. But the idea is to really have something that is super easy because it's not. If it's not super easy, nobody's going to use it. And uh, yeah, that should be something that is uh, recorded in yeah, that's accessible at very low friction. So uh, we. I, I do see that this is something that should be used in a lab and you can say, okay, use it at first maybe for documenting your metadata, but potentially why not also put all your actual data onto it? So I see this actually as uh, quite applicable and to a range of problems. So this lab notebook is kind of one niche idea that we've seen for now for this hackathon, but I see that this concept of publishing publishing any sort of content in a way that is timestamped and undergoing notary service quite widely applicable. So who was on your team? Oh, so for this hackathon we're actually a team of three. So for now we were um, so we had Andre who's a uh, yeah, he has a lot of um, background in uh, IT infrastructure. So um, 
yeah, he, he works with financial institutions. And we had uh, Meher, who is uh, also a host of Epicenter Bitcoin. And uh, so we had, yeah, uh, quite a diverse team with uh, people from different backgrounds. Well, Meher is absolutely brilliant. He was, uh, he actually featured uh, in my last episode of Beyond Bitcoin. And um, really, I had a hard time going anywhere after that interview with him because he had such an excellent understanding of where the space was and where it kind of needed to go, I felt. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That was uh, that's it's it's very nice to have someone that is Avery connected because you know I'm I'm more the coding guy in here. So uh, yeah, and uh, I mean Meher is a really well connected guy and um, has you know basically Meher was the guy who introduced me to both IPFS and Ethereum and did it apparently in a way that was very convincing. So that's that's why I'm here now in the first place. Same for me in a in a big way, really. Um... So yeah, I mean that, that's enough about kind of <laughs> that's enough of an ad for me here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> who was your other team member? Sorry. So Andre. So Andre is a guy who is uh, he's working in a in a uh, for financial institutions for and yeah also looking for how he can implement all these new technologies for actual for actual problems in these sort of settings because I mean for now. Um, all these smart contracts are very focused on financial institutions, so uh, that's a pretty pretty hot area for him there. And how did you find the uh, the experience of the hackathon? Did you uh, did you enjoy it? Did you have any uh, have any thoughts? Did you see any cool projects that you particularly liked, other than D Lab Book? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm of course a little biased towards D Lab Book, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like this event very much. It was uh, I didn't attend hackathons before, but the whole idea of having it decentralized was very stimulating. I would say, I mean, particularly that you had this Slack channel kind of running twenty four seven, and people would actually like respond and kind of be there. It was a it was a really nice organizationally and execution wise. It was really nice, really nicely done. It was a very, very positive atmosphere that was spread there, and people were really supportive. So, I know, like, of course, we're we're very, very early on, and stuff doesn't work how you would expect it to work end of day. So, I don't know, like, editor kind of like crashing while you're in the middle of of running something, or Solidity just not supporting this. Yeah, to 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 behave in a way like you would actually expect a higher higher level language to to behave and people are really very supportive in telling you you know i use this workaround try this and that was that was really excellent concerning other teams yeah i mean i I, i've seen lots of interesting stuff going on there so um i i like this uh, out of band out of band confirmation so uh there was uh, leo was working on that and he had a very nice project that allows you to um, make an Ethereum transaction. And we're talking about a time where there's actually not really many Ethereum uh, wallets. And uh, yeah, he implemented a way that you can securely transfer transfer funds via an out-of-band confirmation via SMS. So he had an SMS gateway to confirm your transactions. I think that's, that's uh, an important thing to, to tackle. Oh, cool. I suppose because that allows you to confirm any ether- any transaction across the Ethereum network um, remotely through the yeah. cell phone network with no data access, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you if you uh, have some some way of confirming a transaction, um, you can be you can be quite sure that uh, you don't have any problems with a man in the middle attack or some I don't know your computer got hijacked and. 
you some in these 10,000 ether and I actually divert that to some other person. So yeah, I think it's a quite important thing to, to tackle. Cool. Well, thanks a bunch, Sebastian. Uh, where can people find out about this, about D lab book and can people find you anywhere online? Well, I mean, we're, we're, uh, trying to set it up. Uh, we're, um, yeah, kind of, we're not very visible yet. We're so far just hosted on the Ethereum, um, on the Ethereum page. We're at the lab book on, uh, GitHub. And, uh, I think that's, that's where we'll, that, I mean, everything we do is open source, obviously. So, uh, that's, that's what you should follow. Thanks again, Christian, Sebastian, and Peter. I was on production and editing. Show notes, credits, and links can be found at letstalkbitcoin.com and on Twitter, at EtherReview. We can also be reached at contact at etherreview.info.